1: Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. We're live a little bit earlier than usual here on YouTube and uh, we're going to be breaking down all the best rosters in the NFL. There'll be no debate after this. It'll be great. We'll just give you the list. You guys will accept it, and we'll go from there. Mm. But
0: critically, it's not
1: our list. It's somebody else's. We, it is. We can blame somebody else. Always. That's the beautiful thing about not having to write everything at PFF these days, right? Like 10 years ago, Sam. Mm-hmm. We blame Ben Lindsay. Yeah. On his list. Again. Didn't we crap on him for something oh, absolutely. Else ben. Ben is one of our better high-volume <laughs> NFL writers these days. So he puts out a ton of great stuff. And he, you know, he's like doing the work for us, and we just we get some Ben. Come on, man! You know, you're just blame him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all Ben's fault.
1: How you doing? Good. You? Great. <laughs> Got my cool clinic shirt. And listen, if you're gonna watch back-to-back podcasts, this one and then maybe the Fourth of July podcast, we might be wearing the same thing. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. You Never know. Yeah. But uh, look at this cool clinic. You didn't get to see my. I've seen that one before. I wore it with Brenner. Yeah, when you were no. Gone. I've seen it before. I had a white before. one. Oh, okay. I had a white a one. This is, this is fresh. This is new straight from coach bob wiley yeah cool clinic yeah
0: it's five-time keynote speaker this year still strikes me as a curious uh you know image to associate with offensive line play this giant mushroom
1: yeah well maybe that's the best best way to play i mean sure um what are we getting into here there are some uh emails that Mm -hmm. we want to get to and some suggestions and there's even we didn't put it in the title but a 90s Jaguars question.
0: Yeah, I mean, we 99. had multiple people uh, complaining, essentially, about how you have not commented on the big, burning 90s Jags question of the day, which is the drama surrounding Tony Paselli and, and Bruce Smith. Uh, I think the gist of it is Bruce Smith, Bruce Smith essentially is unhappy that Tony Vaselli is going—is he in the Hall of Fame or going? He into just the got Hall elected, Fame? so going in this year. Yeah, going into the Hall of Fame, ostensibly according to Bruce, based off one game against Bruce Smith, uh, where he built his reputation, and that was it. He's basically saying he's not a Hall of Famer. He had one good game against me. I think he was claiming he got help and a bunch of other things in that
1: game, and therefore he's a—he's a fraud. Do we need to do a, a, a watch along? The '96 <laughs> AFC divisional round game, Jaguars versus Bills, is that what we need to do? You, oh, me, and Tony, and Bruce, you, all of us. Okay, I mean, we'll watch and just. It watch does them. feel very unusual that a,
0: you know, a current Hall of Famer <laughs> essentially is taking a dump over the the case
1: of an incoming Hall of Famer. That doesn't tend to happen. I, I just want to. I love the '90s Jags. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a crazy premise. Because, like, how, how did offensive linemen get their reputation back in the day? It certainly yes. wasn't. We didn't have PFF grading or anything like that. It really took, hey, it's year two of Tony Baselli's career. We're in the playoffs. There's the great Bruce Smith. And we don't hear anything from Bruce Smith. He, I, didn't, he wasn't on the stat sheet or only had one tackle or whatever, and they gave all the credit to yeah, Tony. I, I think offensive linemen generally were, were used to be
0: massively <laughs> reputation-based. Yeah. Um, And it's one thing, it's changed dramatically for a few reasons. One, PFF exists, and there's actually data points surrounding offensive linemen now, and you can't simply be a bad offensive lineman with a pedigree, you know, like a former first-round pick, and get away with it anymore. People realize, people notice, if you just stink week on week, but you were a former first-round pick, there's now, like, actual data to show. Like, the guy gave up 17 sacks. He's not good. Um, The other reason is, I think the TV situation has a lot to do with it as well like you go back 20 years and there were guys that like you didn't see you know what I mean like most people didn't see they were buried on you know somebody's local broadcast and they they didn't have Sunday ticket it wasn't available for everybody at all times so if you were able to time a really good game for a national tv audience or a playoff game when everybody is actually watching that would offset you know a season like you could Nobody knew what you were doing the rest of the year. But if you dominated in the playoffs, boom, like you're a superstar. Does, who the hell? Know? He must have been doing that the whole time. We just didn't notice because he's playing in Jacksonville and nobody watches that. You know what I mean? So and I'm not this isn't a Tony Baselli specific thing, but I think that was just generally a, general, a yeah. thing that used to happen a lot. Like Bryant McKinney's reputation as a draft prospect was built on shutting down Dwight Freeney in a game in college where I haven't seen that game. But based off every time they played subsequently, I would bet that Brian McKinney was given a lot of help in that game.
1: Oh, I'm going to look that up.
0: I'll, and or, you know, the ball came out one second, one second, th- whatever. It yeah. was not a case of Bryant McKinney shutting down Dwight Freeney one-on-one because every time those two guys played in the NFL, Dwight Freeney would wreck Bryant McKinney, who was actually, you know, a reasonable left tackle in the NFL. But that guy's reputation as a prospect was built on the size of him and that one game against Dwight Freeney in college. I don't think that happens anymore. Like, you don't... There isn't... Like, look at the tackles from this draft, Bosch Can you even tell... Like, what is their signature game? They don't have one. Like, it's not a thing anymore.
1: So, yeah, there was... I mean... You can... People, people are always fed information that dictates what they believe, but even more so back then, where you could just say... Like, when Mel Kuyper says, this guy did that, right? He shut down this guy. Here's this game that he had and here's what he did. You have to believe it pretty much because you also probably couldn't go back. I mean, you certainly couldn't go back on YouTube and watch it. Like Mm -hmm. it was tough to find even just the games from the previous season unless you recorded it on VHS. Right. (laughs) So you can't even confirm those things. So um, look, I'm a 90s Jaguars fan. I'm not a homer, though not a homer when it comes to those teams I understand that Mark Brunel wasn't the best quarterback during that time I don't know like there's a lot of people pushing Fred Taylor to the Hall of Fame I love Fred Taylor I think he was fantastic but Hall of Fame I don't know and Baselli, my one pushback on Tony going to the Hall of Fame would be he only did it for six years yeah
0: more than Tony Baselli has always tended to be a pretty polarizing guy where were you in the Baselli camp before this because there's some people that think Baselli is like the best left tackle that's ever played. You know, just did just injuries caught up to him and he didn't do it for 15 years or whatever. There are
1: other people that are like, yeah, I mean. You I know. think he was really good. I mean, I do, I do watch old Jags games and, you know, in the background and stuff like that. And I'll look up like, oh, he missed a block. But like, there's no. Everybody does that. Yeah, but of course. Right. So I don't have any baseline. Right. I don't have the PFF baseline or anything like that. He also did, he didn't protect the blind side, Sam. That's true. It's true. He protected the blind side for a couple games of Steve Burline. But you of all people can't bring but that I up. But I wouldn't bring that up now. Yeah. Maybe Leon Searcy at right tackle is underrated. <laughs> is actually the Hall of Famer. But it's a little crazy to me because Baselli's he's played ninety games. The so he's he was drafted in ninety five, and then his last full season was two thousand. Yeah. That's it. And he, he missed some games in ninety five. He was hyped up before the Bruce Smith thing, though, too. He was the number two overall pick. I mean yeah, he I mean, looked. He was unbelievable. He was unbelievable. He was really, really good. I'm not, I don't have enough to say that he's better than Jonathan Ogden in the 90s or uh, Walter Jones or even, like, Willie Rofe. Like, I don't know. What right. do I know if, uh, if those guys are better? Th- that was, there were some great left tackles back then, though. Yeah. So I kind of agree with Bruce Smith. Not that Tony Baselli doesn't deserve to go to the Hall of Fame. But one playoff game in year two for Tony Baselli against Bruce Smith did a lot for his reputation. Yeah, Tony's also a big, big, strong guy. So I say, Tony, Hall of Famer. Congrats on the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you earned it.
0: He, he certainly played in at the end of the era where it was possible for that to have been a big influencing factor. Like I, I think the same thing happens today. You know who like. I mean, Rashawn Slater is already really good, but whoever, like Panay Sewell, right, year two comes out, the Lions make the playoffs in the wild card round, Panay Sewell like dominates Miles Garrett, I can't, it, NFC, AFC, whatever, the, the NFC equivalent, right, dominates, you know, an, an awesome edge rusher in the NFC, and like, I, that's not built, that's not creating Panay Sewell's reputation the way good
1: for Tony Baselli in the late 90s. I, I, honestly, if, I, I don't know what people would have seen of Panay Sewell, but if you didn't have PFF, you would have maybe thought Panay Sewell had a terrible season last year because it started poorly. And it's that first impression, right? Panay Sewell struggling at right tackle. He was a disaster in the preseason. You may have projected that forward. But by the end of the year, we kept grading Panay Sewell well while the Lions had like one win. Nobody was watching that. Right. But by the end of the year, Panay Sewell had similar grades to Rashawn Slater. Uh, better run blocking grade, worse pass blocking grade. But I think in the old days, there would have been a couple, like, sports center highlights. Oh, let's, see, let's check in on first-rounder Panay Sewell struggling. And you would have thought for the entire season, Panay Soul struggled. He, was, he had a rough rookie season. Hopefully he bounces back next year. And we don't hear his name, and he never has a highlight, that type of thing. But we do have the play-by-play grading now to, uh, to conf- confirm otherwise. Plus, I mean, Mark Brunel carried that entire team, carried everybody. Hmm. Now I'm a realistic. I'm not a, I'm not a homer. I know Brunel wasn't the best quarterback. I probably wouldn't put Fred Taylor in the Hall of Fame. I know Baselli was awesome, but maybe not the best of all time. The best do, player on that team is Jimmy Smith. I do think Jimmy Smith, though. Um, so Jimmy Smith's actually a good example with today's NFL. Not to completely, you know, when Jimmy Smith was a true wide receiver one. And mm-hmm. as much as I love Mark Brunel, you saw Jimmy Smith produce with a rookie Byron Leftwich, year two Byron Leftwich. I think there was a little crossover to even David Garrard too, through 2005. But like Leftwich didn't have a good NFL career, but Jimmy Smith was still dominating at that point, right? He was QB proof no matter who was throwing to him. And um and even when Brunel got hurt, the Jaguars had backup quarterbacks who had a lot of success. Jimmy Smith is the guy that probably is the is the best player on that team, along with Baselli, I would say. You know, and can seem to sniff the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And Tony Brackens. <laughs> I mean Tony Brackens was Miles Garrett level dominant, but only did it for about three years. Forget six. All right. So as I say, multiple people
0: message in complaining that uh, you hadn't yet addressed it. So that's the official Steve Palazzolo stance on the Bruce Smith Tony Baselli. Is that official
1: enough? Controversy. Kind of agree with Bruce, (laughs) but I love Tony. Bruce is also
0: a large man that you probably don't want to upset. Like, yeah, we never know when we're going to run into these guys. So I'm in a hard place there, right? Which which giant angry man do I want to upset?
1: Less afraid of Fred Taylor, Mm -hmm. more afraid of Tony Baselli and uh, Bruce Smith.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's reasonable. Uh, okay, other emails. Um, th- a lot of people like the idea. Our our PFF versus the fans concept that has caught on. I think. All by right. the way, when I say R, like we stole it from whoever emailed it in, suggesting it as an idea. It's a great so, idea, we but we've adopted it. it. We, we should should like it, and the people like that person it. something. True. Um, so we've had a few Patriots ones. Uh, the first one from a guy called Sean Deporter who sent a long email with all kinds of tangents about his kid applying for PFF back in the day and like a tourist guide to Massachusetts at the end. But his problem was, he wasn't clear on the specifics of his challenge, right? Of the Sean versus PFF thing. And this is where this thing, you know, love the emails we're getting through of you know where we're wrong, where we can uh, essentially bet against you during the season and keep a tally of them and those people win things but it's got to be specific enough that we can, you know, act on it, right? Right. So just like you're wrong about the Patriots, not really enough to go on. And this guy was a little bit more specific than that, but didn't really hone in on it. The second one was from somebody called Jake, who says, uh, the take of PFFs that I'm challenging is the draft grade of the Patriots, which was a D. Uh, The worst draft grade we gave out and the worst draft grade that pretty much everybody gave out. The way I intend to do this is by wagering that the Patriots' first three picks, Cole Strange, Taequann Thornton, and Marcus Jones, all add more war relative to their positions than the first three picks of the Baltimore Ravens, excluding Ajabo, who, you know, obviously redshirt, injury type of deal, Uh, Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum, and Travis Jones. You gave the Ravens an A+, and I believe the Patriots' picks will add more value at their positions than the Ravens do at theirs. I'm not saying that the results will justify the bad process. I agree that the Patriots reached, but I think that the bad process has led to an unfair criticism of the players and what they'll add to the team. Thanks for
1: everything you both do. Jake. So that's a good bet. That's a great bet. Clear terms. Yes. A declaration, right? Top Mm -hmm. three Patriots' picks versus top three Ravens' picks. War relative to their position. I got that in PFFIQ. I could pull that out pretty easily. Of course, we'll be honest about that.
0: Well, you can put it on the screen. Prove it. Yeah, I can put it on the screen. Yeah, be honest about I mean, that. I we wouldn't, wouldn't p- trust you being honest. So you, you know, you have to give. We it have to something. prove it out. Yeah. Okay, can do that. So yeah, I like that. That's great, but that's exactly what we're looking for, right? A, you're wrong. You're wrong, hugely wrong, because you yeah. gave a D versus an A plus. B. I'm willing to bet on it, and here are the terms, and the terms are like perfectly fair. That's actually, that's a ballsy bet. Like, you could have, you know, been wishy-washy about that. And went, well, wow, well, you know, and done something that sort of focuses on starting time and all that kind of thing. So and what he's we gone should do, full, what,
1: full PFF. I love that. We didn't prepare Tyler for this or anything. What we should do going forward is have the bet terms, throw a graphic up there, and we can accept or decline the terms. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we can do that going forward. So the terms are. Patriots first three picks first the Ravens first three picks take out a and we're gonna have yeah we'll, we'll have more per season we're gonna just do year one or are we doing I mean uh, we want to I mean it's gotta be year one let's, let's just do, do year yeah. one
0: um what we should do is at some point fire all these into a google document that everybody can have access to
1: oh view access we're not gonna you know yeah we can't let people doctor it <laughs> all up. right
0: yeah yeah it oh, looks look, like I, I bet here, and it turns out I'm 100 percent right. No, view access only for people of the show, but so everybody bets. can see the bets that we've got rolling live um,
1: and see how they're working out. I like this a lot. People mm. like people like betting. Um, what do they get if they're wrong? Nothing, huh? Uh,
0: mean, no, like- it's essentially a there's no there's a no loss proposition. Reputa- can't they're they're going to
1: lose their reputation.
0: Yeah. Because we'll call them out. Well, no, because they don't really have a reputation to lose. They're the first introduction of them to the PFF audience is going to be this. Yeah. So they can try and gain a reputation. They're hoping to
1: establish a reputation with this bet, but they can't lose one. I mean, if we really want to spice it up a little bit, we'd, we'd have them offer something. We'll put up PFF <laughs> Edge. Maybe they could put up, you know, some, uh, some coffee or something, you know, like thing, whatever. The you
0: know. I mean, look, if you got something to offer,
1: by all means, spice it up. But we'll put a donation button. We'll right, put the, but it's not necessary. Yeah, I'm just messing around. That, so yeah, this will be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I think this is. It's a
0: good idea. That is a perfect example of the kind of uh, wager bet argument that we're looking for. NFL podcast at pff.com is the email to send. You know, whatever it is you want to bet and argue about. But that I think is our first official one. The PFF
1: versus the fans. The Patriots draft class the other thing people should do is go to underdog fantasy because that's the best place to play fantasy football this summer their best ball mania tournament has 10 million dollars in total prize money and the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it there's no waivers no trades no in season management underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win the champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June so there's no time like the present to join underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, Sam, do we have any other emails? Do we want to get into this best roster stuff?
0: Uh, we had one that was an interesting discussion uh, from Brandon Stringer, who essentially was arguing that bridge quarterbacks are a waste of time now. You've heard that running backs don't matter, but this one is all the more true. Bridge quarterbacks don't matter. Andy Dalton did nothing for fields but take his snaps or reps. Trubisky, Mariota, et cetera, signings are all just flushing cap down the drain. Mason Rudolph and Felipe Franks could have tidied them over and been younger with whatever potential that brings. Uh, Thanks. Are bridge quarterbacks now just a waste of time, cap space, roster spots, everything?
1: Um, It depends on how you're judging them. I mean, if you're trying to say, well, the Bears didn't get wins out of Andy Dalton. Well, literally Andy Dalton. I mean, the Andy
0: Dalton one is a good example if you're trying to make this case because he did literally nothing for the Chicago Bears last no, because season, the... in addition to taking up time that probably would have been useful for Justin Fields. Yeah. Right? Remember, the, Nate Tice also br- like re-highlighted somebody else's point. Remember, Trevor Lawrence had to split reps with Gardner Minshew last training camp, you know? Because presumably Urban Meyer was really it's going hard to try and build the culture. the coach
1: who kicked their kicker...
0: Yeah, at to really establish a winning culture. So yeah. Trevor Lawrence wasn't even getting the full... like. Gardner Minshew potentially is a great bridge quarterback for somebody, but if he's just taking Trevor Lawrence's snaps, what good is that?
1: I would say that the benefit is in the thing that we can't quantify, right? If there's a benefit, it is in the fact that if you interview Justin Fields, like, how was it good? How was it having Andy dollars around? Oh, you know, I, you know, he helped me learn how to watch film and what to look at and prepare and how to be a professional and all that stuff. Like that stuff's real, right? That stuff does exist. But that doesn't need to be a bridge quarterback.
0: Two things. One, you can use my old tried and true strategy of just hire a quarterback coach. Hire Matt that. Castle, right? No, but it's a little... Josh McCown. Hire Josh McCown as a quarterback coach. You don't have to take up a roster spot. You don't have to pay him a ton of money, and he can teach Justin Fields all of those things just as well as Andy Dalton can. Job done. Number two, it's a little different. Number when it's two, your peer. if you insist that he has to be an active quarterback for some reason, he can just be a veteran backup It doesn't have to be a bridge guy you can just be a dude that like sits on the, the ass end of somebody's roster and that's all that's his entire purpose i am just here as a living walking example of what you should be doing but i'm never going to start because
1: i'm me part of it part of it is watching without them teaching right you're just watching you're observing yeah. You're peer in how they do things now on the other side of that, I don't know how much it actually matters, right? It's one of those things where if you say in sports, like uh, phrases like "oh, this guy's this guy's ten times ahead of where he was last year at this time," okay, well it does it. It's not going to translate to ten times better performance, right? So does it actually matter? Because the, at the end of the day, what you actually do on the field is the only thing that matters technically, right? All of the in, all the inputs are like how well you work out, what you learned, knowing the playbook, and. All that stuff. All those inputs lead to the output, which is how well you play on the field. And one of the inputs is like, I learned how to be a professional. I learned how to do this. I learned how to study film. But if it doesn't actually make you better on the field, that's where it doesn't necessarily have value. So there's probably some value there in having the bridge quarterback. I don't think the cap space matters because that's not... A fa- like Andy Dalton's cap isn't affected this year. It's not affecting the future of the next quarterback.
0: No, but it matters if, the, if you eventually do turn to the rookie and he's out there, you know, doing what he can, and you have the equivalent of a slot-wide receiver salary being taken up in the dude that he just put in the bench. That's not insignificant. I mean, that's—we've that's, that's we've talked about for 20 years, like Tom Brady has done that, right? He's given the Patriots, largely, and now the Bucks, essentially a slot receiver for free, right, with the amount of money he's leaving on the table relative to the best-paid player
1: at the position every single year. But that's
0: That's but, the same thing here.
1: But like, I always look at, say, the rookie quarterback— as I don't care about year one I care about years two three four five right Andy Dalton's salary isn't affecting this year's hypothetical slot receiver or anything like that who cares about year one care about the future but if he's good year one it's relevant yeah I mean maybe you get another evaluation look it it matters if you do believe that reps are the most important thing that Fields should have had more reps or Trey Lance should have had more reps or whatever it might be Garoppolo wasn't a bridge he was just better, but I don't know, just
0: Dalton's if you believe it,
1: 5 million dead cap money this year. Oh, maybe they should have structured that a little <laughs> bit better. Maybe they maybe they didn't need to invest two years in Andy Dalton Man, to make a point. To say That's different. Matters a little bit. A true bridge quarterback is a one-year investment. You got to do the bridge quarterback thing
0: correctly. You give him all the money year one. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree at the with the notion that it's a waste of time. I think unless, you, unless your rookie quarterback actually requires a year on the bench, the bridge quarterback is doing nothing for you. Nothing. Nothing that you couldn't get from hiring Josh McCown as a quarterback coach for, like, you know, whatever that costs. Low six-figure contract and no roster spot. So the answer is maybe. I mean, the answer to me is yes. Like, unless you're, like I say, unless your quarterback needs a year on the bench to start, and i think we're reaching we might be reaching a point in the nfl where if that's a if that's a prerequisite of the quarterback i'm not sure he's actually an nfl quarterback anymore like what who's can you think of a quarterback in recent years who needed a year to learn on the bench and then became great needed a year needed. on the bench
1: Required that year again. To we be don't built
0: up from scratch.
1: We don't know right. if that's what led to Patrick Mahomes or Carson Palmer both being right. really but good. The, you
0: know the talk, and then so the two data points in Patrick Mahomes to suggest it wasn't necessary were a constant stream of reports saying that he was lighting it up in practice, etc., etc. And the only reason he's on the bench is because Alex Smith is currently leading the NFL in passer rating and okay. passing and all that kind of stuff. And he then gets in week 17 crushes it and we're like wow we just Patrick Mahomes is really good.
1: I don't necessarily buy those data points because you're saying there's this highlight reel of practice. Yeah, that that was kind of the expectation from Patrick Mahomes. The thing that I contend, the thing that has made him great is the fact that he works well within structure. Sure. I'm and, not saying and, and I and I'm I'm going to make is it fair to make the assumption that 16 weeks sitting has helped him develop that skill which was necessary, right? The thing that made Patrick that makes Patrick Mahomes so special is that when you read his scouting report coming out of college, every single weakness he turned into a strength, playing within structure and decision making and accuracy, whatever it was. So, yeah, did that 16 weeks matter? I
0: I don't know, but I think there's a big the other sort of thing about Patrick Mahomes is that like he obviously is just different to what people thought he was like the the negatives in college as a scouting report were more question marks. Like, can he do this within structure? Not that he can't. Like, it's not... He just didn't do it yeah, in Texas Tech. It's in not the Big like 12. he was... Yeah, It's not like he was overtly bad at this stuff and then turned them into being strengths, and that's why he's so good. It's like, I, I don't see evidence of him playing within the structure. Like, he just doesn't do it and doesn't have to and dominates it. Like, can he do that at the next level? Because that is the difference between, you know, quarterbacks that... That can thrive that way, and guys that get to the next level have to play in structure and can't. So, to me, there's a very big possibility that, like, Patrick Mahomes was just that guy pretty much the whole way. And, you know, had he been thrown in year one, we would have seen that anyway. I'm not saying that those data points automatically mean that that's true, but that's the way I would lean if I was evaluating Patrick Mahomes. Who else has had to has sit for a year and has, like, he's the only Tom the Brady? Only, but, yeah, I mean, Mahomes is the only guy that's done it recently, right? That sat for a serious length of time and then turned into something really this
1: good. This is why I don't, I don't know what to do with the data point of, did you sit or did you start right away? Right? Yeah, I don't— Because there's a point where you're like, well, Aaron Rodgers sat. Right. Drew Brees didn't start right away. Tom Brady didn't start right away. Patrick Mahomes didn't start right away. Of the, of the elite quarterbacks of the last 20 to 25 years, only Peyton Manning stepped right in as the starter immediately is the only guy again but again this feels like us telling coaches this is a must go on fourth down when it adds like two percent of win probability this is a must go but it's not like it's going to change your win probability by 90 to 100 percent. it doesn't mean you're going to get it 100 percent of the time it just means we're talking about fractions of a percentage point point. and if we did we don't have the ab analysis right we we don't we can't see it. what if tom brady started right away as a sixth round pick in the year 2000 what if Patrick Mahomes started in 2017 we don't have that analysis to put up against their sitting
0: yeah this is all kind of my point though it's like to me the sit or don't sit thing is very much a I don't think there's a wrong or a right answer uh it at best it's like who the hell knows this is a coin flip there's no obvious difference either way um so I think you probably conclude that it doesn't really make a difference either way so if you're then coming to me and saying this guy has to sit for a year, well, there's no real evidence to say that does anything for anybody. So if that guy has to sit for a year, why, you, why is he going to be good at the end of that year? And if he is, then you probably should have played him from year one, at which point the bridge quarterback was a waste of everybody's time. So my conclusion to all this is there is no such thing as a quarterback that has to sit for a year in order for him to be any good in the NFL. He's either going to be good or he's not, at which point the bridge quarterback is a waste of time. Completely, across the board. They're, they serve no purpose because their only purpose would be to stave a guy from starting year one who shouldn't be starting year one, which I'm not sure is a thing anymore, if it ever was.
1: Walt in the chat is yelling Carson Palmer. I did mention Carson Palmer. He did sit for a year, right, tactically sat for a year. I wonder if it just comes down to supporting cast, right? It's not Palmer is the, the last guy, I think, that has actually made
0: it the year. Of the plan. Yeah. You know, because everyone comes in with this plan of oh, this guy's gonna sit for a year. We've got this quarterback that we're gonna have as the bridge. This guy's gonna take the, the lumps this year. We'll develop him on the sideline next year is when we're gonna see him. I think Palmer's the last guy that's actually made it the full year and we haven't seen him until Mahomes technically year two. did.
1: He only started week seventeen because yeah. the Chiefs were clinched right. in the playoffs. But he
0: did start week seventeen. Right. We did Nobody else has like made football. it the whole year. Everyone else is at some point <laughs> just like throw him out there. Blake Bortles who's supposed to have the year on the sideline lasted like four and a half games or something.
1: But your, your point is always the quarterback that they currently have does matter yeah. in their decision pro- process. And my point is it shouldn't, right? The fact that Chad Henney was the guy that was ho- keeping Blake Bortles on the bench, that's where they were like, fine, let's get Blake out there. But in, the, in Carson Palmer's case, they had John Kitna, I think, had like a career year or whatever in yeah. 2003 or which whatever is, it was, 2004.
0: Which is part of the reason. I mean, that's why I say it matters, because the guy you have starting essentially dictates how long you have. To give the guy on the sideline. John Kitten has a career year, ergo, you don't have to put in Carson Palmer. You were Blake sitting Bortles here. portal, sits behind Chad Henney, you get four games before you're like, I can't take another minute of Chad Henney dropping back, getting sacked, and throwing the ball back towards his own end zone. I need to put in the, the rookie. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what it does for his development. I can't watch another second of Chad Henney.
1: Like, that's the decision making that happens. You were here all last year saying, Justin Fields shouldn't start because the situation's poor, right? We don't have great receivers. We don't have a great offensive line. Let Andy Dalton take the lumps, especially you didn't even want to play against the Rams or certain teams and all that stuff. But maybe that is actually the thing, right? Where it's the only thing that can hurt our rookie quarterback's development is getting a little gun shy in the pocket, taking too many hits, not trusting his protection, not trusting the system. But if you do have a guy step into a good situation, maybe it's better. At the same time, you know, like Jared, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Jared Goff, his rookie season stepped into maybe the worst situation in the NFL and looked terrible. Carson Wentz stepped into one of the best offensive lines, looked pretty good. And their career trajectories are all over the place. Goff was fine the next year. Wentz was an MVP candidate. Then he dropped off. Goff got better. Like, Like doesn't, there's no direct path with any of this stuff. There's no good answer
0: well I we just spent 20 minutes talking about there's no good answer I think the point you're making there is that supporting cast is one of the most important parts in terms of any kind of quarterback's development and there's definitely an argument but again this isn't necessarily a bridge quarterback there is definitely an argument that if the situation is so bad that the rookie can't possibly be expected to have any kind of success don't play him because all you're doing
1: is harming the quarterback but we also don't even know that that's the case yeah, I think that probably is though. We don't know that that's the case. Again, Goff, he only played 5 games or whatever it was. But was in a horrible situation. He was trash, but you got Sean McVay in there the next year and he and Goff looked good. And then they were in the Super Bowl 2 years later.
0: Yeah, but the situation was better. Like they also over, like McVay, the offense is better, but they the, overhauled but the offense. But playing
1: line. in the bad situation didn't hinder his ability to play well when the good situation showed up
0: no but it certainly didn't help like my point being the only thing that can happen there is bad like i don't think there's anything to be gained from like half a dozen games of getting your ass kicked in a terrible situation i I don't think that does you any good whatsoever i think it can definitely do you harm but i i don't think that that's helpful for a young quarterback um i don't like the idea that the the idea with peyton manning right was you go out there you take your lumps you know you you go through the fire and then you're tempered by it when you, you're stronger at the other end but like that was more to do with sort of learning the mistakes you know what I mean like figure out like what you can and can't do at this level like throw the ball yeah. you're going to create you're going to make some errors and you're not going to make them again right that idea of the I, was it Bruce Arians there's a story of Peyton Manning in, in uh, like some sort of film review session way back when he was a kid. Or not a kid, a, you know, young quarterback, and I think it was Bruce Arians. Like, here, pause the tape. Here, why didn't you throw to the tight end? Here, he's like, he was, "Coach, he's covered." Like, Bruce Arians, like, "What are you talking? Like, that's that's open in the NFL. That ball needs to come out of your hands and go to the tight end there." And that was that's the process that Peyton Manning had to go through, right? Is learning what NFL open looks like, learning what NFL it what, what is an NFL open is cover be, two is right. And it's going to be an interception, like those things, right? It isn't. You need to go out there. And be destroyed for 16 games because that's useful for your development going forward like no that's that's not a thing like get Jared Goff just playing terribly and being just dis- re by the team is not helpful Jared Goff playing to like learn where the errors are is useful but I don't think those things cross
1: over that often and you don't think he's going to learn from mistakes because he doesn't know where the sun rises I mean I'm just saying that would lead me to question you know <laughs> how well he takes on information we have some revisionist history when it comes to peyton manning's rookie season and people only look at hey, he had 26 interceptions look at peyton hey, look at all these guys who don't have 26 interceptions they're going to be better when peyton was actually really good as a rookie he just happened to have a lot of interceptions because they were yeah. an aggressive play from behind team and so, you know you had to learn where the mistakes were and all that so um so the bridge quarterback overrated for you I
0: yeah I I can be I jump on the party political platform that says the bridge quarterback is a
1: waste of time and should be eliminated. I'm there. I am a team bridge quarterback. I would of course you. Are. I would still do it. <laughs> I would still I would still bridge it. Still 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 use the it. own to me the only. But your alternative is like yeah give me Mason Rudolph give me the guy that's a little bit of an unknown he's younger he's not going to be as good at teaching my rookie quarterback how to be a professional blah 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 blah. I'll take my lumps with this other guy. The only
0: purpose I can see to a bridge quarterback is if you think the situation is so bad that throwing the rookie out there will harm him, right? And you you didn't have an alternative. So look at the last two draft classes of quarterbacks, for example, right? You could argue that the situation in Jacksonville or New York was bad enough that you shouldn't take the rookie. You shouldn't take a rookie quarterback because if you play him, he's going to do exactly what he just did. He's going to put a PFF grade in the 50s. He's going to look terrible, and you could actually do him serious harm long term. It's going to be year two or three before we can put a team around this guy to give him any kind of chance of success whatsoever. So you shouldn't take a quarterback this year. Okay, but then the next year you can show up and there's no rookie quarterbacks, right? You stink again for a year. You're building. Now You you get the top, you know, you get a top pick again, Jacksonville. You're back at number one. Uh-oh if you hadn't taken Trevor Lawrence, like, what's your plan now? Because there's no quarterback this year. So I think sometimes you just have to take the quarterback and figure out, you know, adjust the rebuild. That is when I can see an argument for, okay, guys, this is the worst situation in the NFL. If this guy goes out here year one, all we can do is make him worse. So let's throw out Chad Henney instead because, you know, he's earned his money. Like Chase Daniel, right? Let's throw out Chase Daniel and make him finally earn that $41 million he's had in his career, right? That, that's the plan this year because we're going to stink anyway. It's a terrible situation, and Chase Daniels has earned $41 million in his career already. I don't care if we break him, you know? That's the only purpose I can see. To I mean, yeah, you
1: wanted about. the Bears to play Andy Dalton over Justin Fields last year.
0: Yeah, because I thought there was a pretty big chance that the Bears could actually hurt Justin not physically, but ruin Justin Fields. That, that is the purpose of a bridge quarterback to me, is to just prevent you
1: damaging the, the, the most valuable asset on your team. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold watches, gold medals, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle from Philadelphia and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. Platinum, that's right, manscaped. They'd like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet. It's the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now, trust them with the whole shebang. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped's brand-new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping. Manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package, Sam.
0: Hmm. That's another reason that you shouldn't have a bridge quarterback. Everybody strives for platinum, not gold. Because Manscapes. You want platinum. Platinum. You want the platinum. You want the platinum.
1: And a bridge quarterback's never giving you the platinum. Never. All right. Ready to trash Ben Lindsay? Just kidding. We're going to support our colleague Ben Lindsay here. PFF.com. Also on ESPN.com. Ranking the best rosters in the NFL. Uh, It's an annual article. We do it all the time. Everybody hates it. They get mad at it. We had a GM enter the room one time because, you know, NFL Combine, every year we meet with all of our teams. And he, he came in the room and he said, who ranked us 31st last year in roster? And we're all just kind of like, that was us. He said, yeah, you're right. We were bad. Mm. He, he backed us up. He didn't get mad. Other GMs have yelled at us and gotten mad. Yeah. Maybe they're friends now. But uh, this this guy actually said, you're right. We're going to do a lot better. And uh, I'll just say that GM has gone on to do much better work since then, since they ranked 31st. So where do you want to start with this? The best rosters in the NFL. You want to start at the top? Who's the best? Yeah. Buffalo Bills.
0: Yeah. Um, Agree or disagree? Agree. The Bills are the top team in most people's power rankings. They are the favorite. Am I correct in saying that? The betting favorite for the Super Bowl at the moment. Um, And they rank number one in this roster breakdown, and those things are connected. The Bills have the best roster in the NFL. That's why they're the favorites, right? The fact that they didn't make it as far as other teams last season, the playoffs, like we know, like, in the playoffs they were the favorite they were dominating they were on a really good run and they came 13 seconds away from knocking over the chiefs who knows if they'd have beaten the Bengals or not but like we're not a million miles away from last season's buffalo team being a super bowl team and this season's version added players like von miller to address one of their biggest weaknesses
1: um not biggest weaknesses but an area of concern i guess it's a really good roster uh, when you were out, we had Greg Rosenthal on the show. We did something similar because he was going through each of the rosters and, and kind of ranking them. And I think we came to the conclusion, if I remember correctly, that the Bills also, yeah, in our on that show, he had said they were number one. The one place where we talked about maybe there's some concern is the offensive line. The idea that there's a little bit of turnover there. There's a little bit more pressure on second-year tackle Spencer Brown, a guy like Ryan Bates who has played well. At guard in limited time. You bring in a Roger Saffold, who's a, who's a very good veteran, but had a rough year last year in pass protection with the Titans. That could be the place, right? I mean, the, the, the offensive line, we always talk about the Bills as this kind of standard for building around the young quarterback, right? They got the offensive line to manageable, crept back toward average, and then stacked up playmakers for Josh Allen. And that coincided directly with his development. But this actually could be the worst offensive line he has since his since year two since year one for Josh Allen I don't think it's a disaster or anything like that I still think it's in the middle of the pack in the NFL but I do wonder if that is the potential weakness on this team um, on the bright side you mentioned they bring in Von Miller uh, draft Kyler Elam to be that uh, that number two cornerback opposite Tredavious White you lose Levi Wallace in the process but uh, yes handling some of those places with good players like Von Miller first round pick at corner I think makes should make Bills fans feel pretty good.
0: Yeah, I their offensive line doesn't look great on paper. On the other hand, it it kind of never does. Like that's part of I think their strategy on the offensive line has been kind of what we preached, you know, creep back toward average, but they're not they're not so much creeping back there, they're there. They've been average and they're trying to maintain average. And their strategy I think for maintaining average is let's just assemble as many average players on the offensive line as humanly possible. You know, teams kind of platoon nine guys on the offensive line. If we get nine average guys, the chances of us having a terrible offensive line are pretty small. Um, I think that's that's been their plan. It's worked. The only worry about that is it is a small chance, but it's still there. The, you know, you get... Nobody plays at the same level every single year. So if you're, you get five average guys, you know, you're going to get this range of outcomes every single year for each one of those guys and if like three of them you know hit the bad end in a given season all of a sudden your offensive line becomes a problem because now you got three below average players versus two guys that aren't offsetting it by being superstars you know are maybe offsetting it by above average play if you get the other end of the variance and now still you've got kind of three weak links on an offensive line and that is kind of problematic And i think the bills flirted with that a little bit last season and I think that's the one kind of flaw with that strategy as I think that's always a threat. Like at any given moment, three of those guys could be a problem because none of them are great.
1: They also, I me- should have mentioned, they bring in David Questenberry too. So you, he's got a history of being average, had a good year last year. Run blocking. Um, our listeners are so astute when the Bills signed Greg Van Roten, who is, you know, one of those guys that you just, just described. somebody's like, PFF Steve must love this. Mm. <laughs> yes, I do. Greg Van Roten, a guy that plays guard and could be decent and has been decent, whatever. So the Bills have a really good roster. I agree. They're very good. Uh, They replaced Cole Beasley with Jamison Crowder, uh, Gabriel Davis on the outside. We'll see if he continues to to develop. And, you know, if he, man, the star power that he showed in the playoffs, I don't want to overrate just the playoff run because he had been good previously too. But if he handles a little bit more volume opposite Stephon Diggs, those are all the things that people are looking at when they rank the Bills really high from a roster standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you know, you know, look at a lot of rosters, you can find an obvious area of weakness and say, this is the thing that's going to cause them problems. Um, it's, it's tough to find that with Buffalo. And, okay, some of it relies on rookies coming in and playing, and that, that can be risky. You know, James Cook has the potential to propel this team in a different direction on offense, but they're kind of insulated. If James Cook doesn't do that, if he stinks, if he's not good doesn't matter. They're in the same position as last year in terms of running backs. Um, Kyrie Elam comes in a corner. Again, the potential is there for him to be a much better player than the player he replaced. And that, I think, insulates him from the idea that if he doesn't play that well, like Levi Wallace played reasonably well for particularly his sort of play is more relative to his story, right? Like former walk-on at Alabama goes from walk-on to undrafted to, you know, clinging on to a starting job for a few years. He has a reasonably easy job opposite uh, Tredavious White, which helps. That all translates to Kyrie Elam as well, right? He Rookie corner doesn't often lead to dramatic success. On the other hand, he's going to have the same benefit of that relatively easy job opposite Tredavious White. And he doesn't have to be great to be
1: better than the guy he's replacing. I was deep in the research the other day, and I proved it that Levi Wallace may have a, a slightly easier job than uh, Tredavious White. I'm not interested in any data point that tells me that Levi Wallace is going to be I know you love Levi Wallace. Market, which I suspect might happen. But I may have stumbled upon an insight that corners play into the boundary. You know, the, the short side of the field, which doesn't matter as much in the NFL, theoretically. The boundary versus the field. that those guys, The boundary corner, the guy that's closest to the ball, actually has it a little bit more difficult. Playing the X receiver, specifically usually playing the X receiver, whatever it might be. And Levi plays to the field a lot. That's all. Okay. Just saying maybe he had a slightly easier path that's helping his grade along just a little bit yeah but the point being that should also help Kyrie Elam adjust agreed absolutely so how about the the next teams here we got the Bucs at two Mm -hmm. Los Angeles Chargers at three ahead of Super Bowl defending champion Los Angeles Rams at four wow and then the Green Bay Packers at five and I know we've talked a lot about the Packers receivers and I just want to go back historically during through this exercise right the the Eagles are a great example and I reference them a lot here they had years where they were always top five top seven they're right this year they're seven in roster strength but where the Eagles were strong was in the trenches and they always felt really weak at receiver and corner until they made that better in 2017 they win a Super Bowl are the Packers similar they've got great corners that's one of the reasons why they're up here The Packers having the fifth best roster strength is that based off, obviously, the quarterback. You have Aaron Rodgers, and you go position by position, and everything's good, 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 good. Defense looks good, but the biggest weakness on paper is receiver. yeah And if the Packers, they might have the fifth best all-around roster, but if receiver is actually a weakness next year, and we don't have people emerge, and we don't have Aaron Rodgers dragging them, it doesn't matter. They won't have the fifth-best record. They won't be in the, i don't think it matters.
0: I mean, if you gave them—if you gave them Buffalo's receiving core, they'd have the best roster in the NFL. Like, that's where Green Bay has arguably the best roster in the NFL, but they have maybe one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL. Like, that's—it's, you know, like when you rank receiving cores generally, when you rank receiving groups, like, how far can you go with a team that has, like, one player? You know, one good receiver and everybody else stinks. Yeah. Like, how high can you put that team? the The Packers are sort of well. How high can you put a team where the roster is great, but this one really important position group is is bad? It's, it's terrible. Like the worst, the last. It's probably the worst receiving group Allen or Aaron Rodgers has ever thrown to. The only other, I think, argument for that was 2015, where he lost Jordy Nelson in the preseason to a torn ACL. Right, so his number one receiver went down right before the season they didn't have the ability to replace that that's the kind of receiving group he's throwing to right now it's as if his number one guy has been you know taken out of the game right before the season which is kind of true because but you traded him away instead of he tore his ACL um the other interesting thing about that season by the way now look you're going back so it's Mike McCarthy it's like how much of it is Mike McCarthy's offense as well but you lo- the only season where Rodgers basically hasn't had a number one receiver to throw to, and it was his lowest PFF grade ever of his career. So, you know, if you're looking at Rodgers now, okay, things are different. No Mike McCarthy, better offense, you know, the, all these things. On the other hand, the last time he had a group of receivers this bad, he graded in the 70s, and he had a 90 grade either side of that you know, years. So 2014, 2016, elite Aaron Rodgers, 2015, worst Aaron Rodgers you've ever seen because there was no Jordy Nelson there. I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but if I was a Green Bay fan looking at this receiving group and then, you know, that data point came across my radar, that would, that would make me upset.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just the point I wanted to make in this whole thing. We're ranking entire rosters. Uh, when Ben goes through this process and we had eyes on this list before too so we always joke that it's it's all Ben right uh, but when Ben goes through this process we are weighing um, whether it's mathematically or at least in our head yeah quarterback obviously as a thing and receiving group and where we think the positions need to be stronger but the Packers will be an interesting case where I do agree the roster top to bottom is really really good but the biggest weakness could make them take a massive step back this Are year. we
0: overrating the Chargers roster based off what it looks like on paper before we've seen it actually manifest? Are we on fire again? Is that a fire alarm? Hard to tell.
1: Let's just hope it isn't. See, st- I hear somebody walking upstairs. Now, let's see, this is where you miss Austin, too. Like, if Austin got up and sprinted upstairs... Well, that could mean anything. That could mean That's true. the building's just, on fire, or it could mean I'm just, going to the loo. He just needs more coffee. Yeah. We good? The alarm's off? Back to your question, Sam. Yeah. We'll just cut that out of the podcast. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. We never, never cut anything. Do the, are we overrating the Chargers? Based
0: off, yeah, the, what it looks like on paper versus actually seeing it manifest on the field and how it gels
1: and works together, et cetera, et cetera. I'd say probably, <laughs> because my general take is that Khalil Mack, superstar name, and I actually use Khalil Mack all the time, superstar name in football is not as impactful as superstar name in other sports, right? But we still get the emotional feeling of when you look back at this offseason and you say the Chargers added, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, two huge names in free agency and guys that have been really productive. Um, Of course, we look at other pieces too, but those are the big pieces we probably overrate those, those guys a little bit. At the same time, when you go top to bottom, my Chargers takes aren't necessarily based off that. It's year three of Herbert. It's having their receiving core locked in. It's having their offensive line, the development that they made last year. It's adding other little pieces along the defensive line where it was a big weakness. And then, oh, by the way, they also have Khalil Mack and JC Jackson. I, I do think in the player, and I do think in Bryce Callahan, all of that stuff added up, does have the Chargers probably in the top five.
0: Yeah, it, so it's a little bit like some of the players they've added in the secondary in particular. It's like we we really liked them as players and we've seen great play from them or the potential is there for great play, but it has it either hasn't happened for a while or hasn't happened yet. So remember when the Chargers first started adding players was like oh they bring in Chris Harris add to the player and you know the guys are they already Casey Hayward already it's like this team's going to be incredible like that's that's already one of the best secondaries in the NFL and then that was the start of the decline of Chris Harris and Casey Hayward fell off a cliff that year before bouncing back with the Raiders um, the player obviously gets injured because somebody mentioned his name uh, and all of a sudden what looked like, like maybe the best secondary in the NFL on paper completely fell apart we didn't see that at all this is kind of the same, right? You bring in J.C. Jackson, who's been uh, really good, and in particular, a ball hawk sort of above and beyond what his PFF grade says he has, you know? So a little bit like Trayvon Diggs in terms of his impact has probably been more than his down-to-down grading in terms of turning over the ball, you know, the EPA that brings, and all, so leading to wins a little bit better. On the other hand, like how many players have left New England on defense and... Maintained their level, so just a little, you know. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. love that guy's profile coming out. Literally was the embodiment of his father, you know. Twenty years later, or who, whatever we who, are.
1: by the way, Asante Samuel Samuel Senior would be one of the guys I. He's point probably to. the last one. The last guy that probably left the Patriots had success. Yeah, had success elsewhere.
0: So you know, Asante Samuel Jr. love the guy's skill set. Love what he can be. On the other hand, great last year, fifty-six. Uh, Bryce Callahan had a year where he was the best slot corner in the NFL and moonlighted outside played incredibly like one of the best seasons we've seen from a corner last year grade of 60 like didn't you know hasn't maintained that level the player incredible skill set always one guy calling him out you know mentioning him by name away from like you know breaking something and not playing for the number season. three yeah uh and then nasir Adley, good maybe hasn't become the player that he thought but anyway my point being you've got five guys there where if it all comes together it's a little bit like remember last year's indianapolis colts wide receiver group so you can definitely paint a picture where it comes together and it's amazing on the other hand it probably won't this one i think is an easier picture to paint but it kind of feels like we're doing the same thing right we're putting it together and we're automatically assuming it's going to be the the best end of the out the range of outcomes whereas in reality two of those guys are probably going to play where they played last year we're not going to see you know it's not going to be the best season from all of them, and therefore it won't be as good as everybody
1: thinks it will be. Would you take him out of the top five, though? Because uh, I get your point, even like the Chris Harris point. When I, mean, so, when I compliment a, like, a move like, hey, Chris Harris, like, you know that there's some downside, but I think you just stack up a bunch of those moves, like a Bryce Callahan get, trying to get him back on track or whatever, I, and those are good process overall.
0: I would argue that Cleveland's roster is probably better than theirs, particularly if we're giving see, them the the benefit of the doubt of having Deshaun Watson, which it looks like we are in this.
1: In this one, we were. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to end up. I could
0: see an argument for Green Bay, though with the wide receiver group, I can also understand why you wouldn't. Um, I mean, Philadelphia's roster might be better, even if they're much worse at quarterback.
1: I think I'm lower on the Browns this year than I was last year from a roster perspective because you're losing... You don't have J.C. Treder at center, Yeah. right? And that was part of that nucleus on the offensive line. I, I do think Jedrick Wills at left tackle, who's, ha- who's had two subpar seasons, will get better. I, th- this is, I think his trajectory will be fine. I love Amari Cooper. At the same time, last year at this time, we're talking about OBJ and Jarvis Landry being there and Rashard Higgins. So you're replacing those guys with Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones and whatever you get from Anthony Schwartz and David Bell. I don't know that that's... An upgrade on paper. I'm saying last year going into the season, I thought that the Browns had one of the best all around rosters in the NFL. I think there's, they still have weaknesses on the defensive line, on the interior in particular. Yeah, I don't know that the Browns are better this year from a roster perspective. We, we ranked them sixth here. The Browns are similar to the Cowboys for me this offseason, where it's tough to put Watson aside because that will, if he plays football, he makes a lot of these other things better, I yeah. believe. But I think the Browns and the Cowboys had better all-around rosters last year than this year they're still good but i think they were better last year yeah i'm
0: maybe cleveland's roster top to bottom is a slight step behind where it was a year ago part of it is like you know we assumed obj would come good last year eventually it just never happened with baker mayfield so he's not as good as the player for cleveland last year on paper as you you would have thought he was so like amari cooper is an upgrade over the obj that cleveland ever had you know the uh, Deshaun Watson thing sure. is important. The other thing is this kind of highlights the thing you're talking about, right? How easy it is for this to to decline and fall apart and erode over an off season or two. This is why, like, if Cleveland ends up in a situation where they're starting Jacoby Brissett for the year, like, this is why it's important, right? Because you you just burned a year of keeping this group together. That's like next season you might lose two or three of these guys and you go from having a top five roster in the NFL to having a top 10 or you know, a middle tier, and now you're suddenly needing the quarterback to come in and raise the level of an average roster as opposed to this team is capable of winning a Super Bowl right now if we have elite quarterback play. Like, that's why, again, I'm not going to rehash last episode, but like, that's why the Browns might not want to go hat in hand to Baker Mayfield. That's the update, by the way. Do you see him at his, his quarterback camp? Or yeah. his, his kids' camp or whatever it is. He's like, I mean, I think both sides moved on, but you know, they would have to come they would have to come to me, you know. Essentially, hat in hand. Baker. I, you you make the move. Right. Andrew Barry. Which I think is fair. And as people have pointed out, there's there's quite a lot of like irony in. You know, remember the Browns had that? It wasn't even them that said it publicly, but it was a report that's that came out, you know, unnamed sources in Cleveland said they were pursuing pursuing Deshaun Watson because they wanted an adult, you know, at quarterback as opposed to Baker Mayfield this like childlike petty, you know. Maybe, maybe he's grown up this offseason. Baker's there at a, you know, football camp for kids in the same day that Deshaun Watson is meeting with the NFL and his lawyers about how much he's going to get suspended based off all of his legal problems. Um, I'm just saying that like if the Browns are in a situation where Watson is suspended the whole year, there's a lot of argument to say you probably should go cap in hand to Baker Mayfield and say, hey, I know we hate each other right now, but can we stay together for the kids for one year to try and win a Super Bowl? Then OBJ's still out there. <laughs> you bring OBJ and get the band back together. Did you see the painting that he I commissioned for himself, I guess? No. It was, it was Rams OBJ helping up Cleveland OBJ, you know, who's really? like lying prone on the floor. It was like, you know, lifting him up. That's what, that's what OBJ thinks about, like, teaming back up with Baker Mayfield. A creative it's
1: like, masterpiece. Really, yeah. Gotta love it. Maybe he's implying that Brown's OBJ is has been pulled back up. He's okay now. He was on the ground. Now yeah. he's back up after the Rams. He's got a ring. I don't think he wants to go
0: back down to the turf again, though. Maybe not. But anyway, my, my point being, it's not easy to maintain a championship-caliber roster in the NFL, right? Like, the entire system is set up to prevent you doing that. Now, it's possible, but most teams are not able to achieve that for any length of time. And if you have one of those rosters, to willingly sacrifice that to go a whole year starting Jacoby Brissett is, in my opinion, negligent.
1: Where else do we want to go here? we got the Eagles I mentioned at seven. It's Cincinnati. To eight. Bengals at eight. That, given where they were a year ago. Remember,
0: like, the, <laughs> rewind, right? The, Brown, or the Bengals were the bottom team in that division they got joe burrow at number one overall a couple of years ago all of a sudden they go to a super bowl and you know everyone's sort of looking back wow what a run but they overachieve like this team isn't that good and then in the course of an offseason, they overhaul an offensive line they make inroads into weak positions and all of a sudden now they're legitimately a top 10 roster in an nfl that's loading up with all its contenders and our genuine contenders
1: I know this is a very specific example but go back to that bridge quarterback debate right Joe Burrow got hurt in year one and they were forced to play what they Ryan Finley and Brandon Allen and his backups right that earns the Bengals the sixth fifth overall pick fifth overall pick like that nets them Jamar Chase Mm -hmm. when you after you get your quarterback is it actually better to have one more year picking in the top 10 just to get another great player One more year because that's how year two Bengals, year two Joe Burrow led them to a Super Bowl. So you got your quarterback, maybe a sit him just so you're bad again and you get another. And then I mean, Burrow and Jamar Chase make these make this team a contender. And then don't sleep on T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Right. We love. Well, I love rolling three deep at receiver when you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Now you have an offensive line that can protect well enough. That is why the Bengals have a very good roster.
0: That might be a strategy if you could consistently, uh, you know, snag a an all-time record setter at, at I know, an important I position know. if that was your plan. You know, like if you could say, hey, we're going to deliberately stink next year and get a top five pick and then get – one of the greatest players to ever hit their rookie season next season. I would do that. I would, I would, that I would be a good strategy, that. right? Yeah. If you could reliably predict that every single year, I would say absolutely. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. But I don't trust
1: your ability to do that. So, no. We have the Chiefs at 9, and here's my question. Where would they be? With, with, with Tyreek Hill else. or without Tyreek Hill, oh, right? Without, right? Or where would they be without – okay. I'm saying with Tyreek Hill – Okay on the roster yeah. and fewer draft picks versus Tyree Kill off the roster. Because by the way, the Dolphins are at 10. And they're up there in part because they added Tyree Kill and Teron Armstead and all these big names to a roster that was already pretty good, right? A team that's already won, they won a bunch of games these last couple of years. Yeah, where would the Chiefs be with and without Patrick Mahomes too is also fair.
0: Well, without Tyree Kill, it's like saying, um, where would the Chiefs be with Tyree Kill but minus two of Sky Moore, Trent McDuffie, and George Karloftis, right? Right. And probably one of Juju and Marquez valdes Scanling as well. So essentially taking three of those five players
1: off their roster, but adding Tyreek Hill back and, in. And you would go unit by unit and saying, "Hey, eh, they still probably need some help at receiver because you want more. You'd probably need some help in the secondary. You probably still need some help on the defensive line. And this is the spread the wealth type I mean, of theory for the Chiefs. And I, I think that's why on paper they look like a top 10 roster because they were able to fill those spots.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, I,
1: But same answer as the Packers here even though the Chiefs look like they have better depth than they did last year at this time, if the receiving core, all of the receivers, plus Travis Kelsey, if they're not good enough, the Chiefs won't be good enough.
0: My answer to that first question, the with or without Tyreek Hill thing, I think this team is better with Tyreek Hill, even if you take away three of those five guys. Sure. I I think that's a net win, adding Tyreek Hill back in. The real question to me is like, okay, you take Patrick Mahomes off this roster, where is it? And it's like, I mean, it's middle of the pack, and that would be based entirely
1: off the offensive line. It's a fair point, Sam. And you could say, if, if you slapped Zach Wilson in a quarterback, right. and you said, how, how has the team done to build around Zach Wilson in year two? And you put him on the Chiefs roster, you would say... He's got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Great yeah. job there. Travis Kelsey. He's got Travis Kelsey. Sub subpar wide receiver group outside of that. But you would say that's but you would say, man, I really wish he had better receivers to throw to overall. I yeah, really well, wish would... we did a better job. I think with Valdez Scaling, Juju Smith Schuster, Sky Moore. Or would you say, you know what? That group as a whole, it's kind of like what the Patriots have built with yeah. like Mac Jones. That's
0: right? what I was thinking of. So it's a lot like the Patriots. You'd be looking at this and you'd say, Great offensive line superstar travis kelsey superstar chris jones not much else which is fine like that would probably put you in the middle of the pack somewhere but it's not like you know we're not looking at this and saying this is a contending team like this is a team with an average roster a great offensive line that's being propelled into perennial contender status by patrick mahomes
1: who's a freak show so we have the chiefs at nine dolphins at ten and that'll be interesting, right, because we're, we're accounting for the quarterback here. I think, I think Ben Lindsey, as he's putting this together, is actually saying the Dolphins overall, player for player, probably do have a better roster than the Chiefs. But we trust, obviously, Mahomes over Tua. But yeah, the Dolphins will be... I think that's overrating Miami. Oh, I don't think so at all, man. All right, look, the Miami, two spots ahead of Baltimore? I think it's underrating Baltimore that more than anything.
0: I mean, okay, Baltimore has a similar problem to Green Bay in terms of that's not a good wide receiver group. Um, yeah, but on the, other, on the other hand, they need it less.
1: Right. That's they're gonna throw the ball two hundred fewer times than the Packers right. next year. But I think the Dolphins, this is going back to my Eagles debate. Where are your strengths? I think when you look at the Dolphins, it's like pass catchers, secondary. Yeah, Those are your strengths.
0: The, the problem I have with the pass catchers thing is I, I need to be shown how the Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle thing is gonna work. You just run the,
1: they just go play football. Just go. Yes, just go. That's you what the run J- past concepts. That's what the Jags were asking last year. Just go out and play, guys. Yeah, but the players were named Tavon Austin and Laquan Treadwell. That's the difference. Go play football.
0: You're just naming a, a pair of
1: first round, uh, first round players right there. True, equal talent. Trevor Lawrence <laughs> was thrown to more first round receivers than Aaron Rodgers has ever had. Well, I'm saying. And what was Trevor doing, uh-huh. man? Because the players are named Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric plan. Wilson, Mike Gesicki. You don't need a plan. You play, you play football. What do you, you
0: mean need a plan? plan? You need a plan. There needs to be a scheme that allows both those guys to function at the same time.
1: Yeah. Tyreek Hill, run some deep routes. Jalen Waddle runs some I'm not saying it's impossible. Less. I'm saying I haven't seen it
0: yet. And the 49ers had a history of not being able to achieve that. Achieve what? The 49ers could not get more than one superstar firing at the same time in that offense. Like, when Debo it Samuel doesn't... was dominating, George Kittle wasn't. When Debo Samuel was off the field, George Kittle would take over. Like, you need... That's, that's good. It's
1: good, but other, but you need... That's good for winning games? You're not... The goal is not... But the, the... I need Tyree Kill to have 120 catches. I need Jalen Waddle to have 100. Oh, no, Mike Kosicki's only going to have 50. We got to get him 75. How do we do it? That's not what you're trying to do. No, but what you're doing
0: when that happens is you're not getting the sum of the two guys. Like the sum of Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill is potentially phenomenal. But if only one of them fires at any moment, you're not
1: getting the sum. You're getting a percentage of that. I think you, but you're, you measure it by something objective around the offense, not their production. You measure it around something like EPA and actually putting points on the board. If the Dolphins are putting points on the board and Tyreek Hill's getting 130 catches and Waddle's not, he's getting 50, but they have the highest scoring offense in the NFL, I'm going to be under the assumption that it's all working right and it's working Tyree Hill might be the beneficiary Waddle might be the beneficiary but it's working because those guys are drawing coverage and they're fast and Gesicki's tough to cover and Hill and Waddle are tough to cover and they have a better offensive line and they have fast running backs that are you know within a nice Shanahan system so you got to judge it not based off of the production of the receivers you judge it by the production of the offense and I think they're going to be fine in that regard assuming two is not terrible uh, I mean, that possibly. I was trying to
0: load up your PFF Ultimate thing here to find out where the 49ers actually ranked in EPA per play We're last deploying year. right now. Yeah, but it won't load. We're so in the middle of I deploying right now. That's. Uh, I thought that wasn't supposed to happen during podcast episodes.
1: Um. Oh, yeah, I did get a message. Is anything happening right now where we shouldn't deploy? Yeah, 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 this is. So I, I can't tell you where the 49ers no, are. we're fine. We're fine. We really try to do it around when we're at uh, in team buildings. Yeah. Made a mistake a few weeks ago. We we're right in the middle of presenting IQ to a team. Yeah, that would be bad. And we mistimed our uh, production deploy. Can't have that. No. So that was because otherwise you're sitting here refreshing and nothing's happening. That was embarrassing. Yeah. It's not gonna be back for a couple of minutes, probably. Perfect. So I'm, Perfect. you're not gonna get your not gonna get your answer. Okay. Just yet. Anyway. I like the Dolphins roster. I like where
0: they're strong. I mean, I think it's fine. I just think we're overrating it a little bit.
1: Saints at 11.
0: Ravens too low at 12. I think the Ravens are underrated here. Yes, I think that's a good roster. The receiving group is not ideal. Uh, But otherwise, it's very good. Okay, 49. I found it. I found it elsewhere. I've had to go to alternative avenues for my EPA per play. Source it. Uh, Don't. It doesn't matter. The running backs don't matter, Place. Oh. the uh, where are they one two three four some it's difficult to tell because it's done by chart you know the visual the graph yeah. thing it's a scatter so they're, yeah there you go that's the word they are around 18. sixth who the 49ers oh the 49ers Off- yeah. offensive EPA per play last year about sixth I think behind Tampa Bay Green Bay, Kansas City Buffalo, the Chargers and possibly
1: Dallas. Right, and so how do you you interpret that as bad because Debo had good games and Kittle had good games, but they didn't have good games at the same time?
0: I didn't say it was bad. I said it wasn't maximizing the sum of the players they've got.
1: Are you kidding me? No. You have Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, and all all of the teams that are higher than you have much better quarterbacks. This is the reason why we call Kyle Shanahan Tin Cup. This is the reason why... We've elevated Kyle Shanahan. Hear
0: that? we. You're out here with like you, one functional
1: metaphor in the last three years. That I can me. still borrow yours. No, I can borrow yours too. Listen, there's a reason why we elevate Kyle Shanahan to the top of play callers because historically, you're like Matt Schaub. Look at those numbers. Get Matt Schaub in the Hall of Fame. It's like, well, no, he had he had Shanahan. Matt Ryan. Elevate him to MVP. RG3. One of the best rookie seasons of all time. And then you have Jimmy Garoppolo who's a worse quarterback than every other team that had higher EPA per play, higher, better production. And you say, well, the difference there is the playmakers and the play caller. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk when his head's on straight and and they trust him, and Jimmy Garoppolo is the facilitator. That's what the Dolphins are trying to build there. So you get a whole bunch of guys who are difficult to cover, that are fast, that have tough skill sets for the defense, You get a facilitator there at quarterback. So if the Dolphins end up 6th or 7th in EPA per play this year, is that a win?
0: Yeah, but my point is all that happens because Shanahan is tin cup, right? Because Shanahan can take a collection of gardening tools and shoot 67 on a golf course with them, which which is why... Nick Mullins appears on graphics with Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes in terms of like yardage thrown through the first whatever thirteen starts of his career. Why C.J. bethard can have the same yards per attempt figure as Aaron Rodgers? Like that happens because of Shanahan. Uh, let's assume that Mike McDaniel is not Shanahan because there's one, there's one Shanahan. He's the guy that runs his system different. To everybody else, even if they're on the same family tree and they came from the same place and blah, blah, blah. Kyle Shanahan is the thing here. And so you're you're automatically getting this boost through Kyle Shanahan being Tin Cup, right? Then you're asking, right, now what are the playmakers doing? What is the, on paper, the fact that I have George Kittle, the best, the most talented uh, tight end of the NFL, I would argue. You've got Brandon Ayuk, incredibly talented first-round pick. You've got Debo Samuel, incredibly talented, multi-dimensional, hybrid weapon, blah, blah, blah. Collectively, that should be the best receiving group in the NFL propelling this already absurd cheat code that is Kyle Shanahan into untold stratospheres of offensive production. But it isn't because you don't get the sum of those three guys at the same time. So when we're looking at this Miami Dolphins offense and we're saying, wow, we have Tyreek Hill on one hand and the closest thing to Tyreek Hill on the other hand, put those two together and we have like a million yards And this is the best offense we've ever seen. But you're not going to get that, or at least I see no evidence so far that you're going to get that. You're going to get a percentage of that, which is less than what we're giving it credit for by looking at it on paper. Where do you think the Niners
1: should rank in EPA per play, say, with that group?
0: With the offense, if you're able to rank in, you know, if you're able to rank highly with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beth at a quarterback, with that group of playmakers, they should be better than that. Like, Kyle Shannon is already taking what shouldn't function and making it
1: good. We, we know that the quarterback's the biggest driver of all this production. Yeah. And if, if the comparison, you have top four to eight quarterbacks like Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, whoever. All Those are the teams that are ranked ahead. Then you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who if you're ranking quarterbacks, probably doesn't rank above 15, right? He's somewhere 13th to 24th in your quarterback rankings that's what you have and you're in your ranking near the top quarterbacks you're winning that's a win for the offense i don't care if you have tyreek hill randy moss and jerry rice out there so i mean i would care quite a bit if i had that but if two is your quarterback you're not you, you still might not have the best because two is not as good as the other quarterbacks who are a bigger driver than the receivers i just mentioned you still might not have the best offense in the nfl would the Dolphins have the best offense at the NFL if it was Tyree Kill, Randy Moss, and Jerry Rice? Maybe, but is that expected? Two is still the bigger driver than any of this. Yeah,
0: and two is below average. So if two is below average and he's the biggest driver, they don't have a top 10 roster. If My point is simply that I think we are overrating the potential combination of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, A, without seeing it function, and B... With prior history of the fact that that typically reduces or produces less than one hundred percent of what you assume the combination of those two would produce. I like where the Dolphins are. I mean, I think they're a what else stands out to you? Worse here? roster than the Ravens,
1: probably the 49ers, maybe Denver, Cowboys at sixteen. Yeah, that the point I made earlier, where I, I don't think. Do we overrate the offseason feels, right? Two years ago, the Packers had bad feels coming out of the offseason, right? They drafted Jordan Love. They drafted fullbacks in the top three rounds. All this stuff didn't feel great for the Packers. They had the best record in the NFL, I believe, that year. Whatever. They went. They're the number one seed um, in 2020. Are we overrating the feels for the Cowboys here? Where Uh they lose a starting guard. They lose Randy Gregory starting on the edge and they lose Amari Cooper.
0: No, I think...
1: It's kind of the opposite of, like, what the Chargers do. They might be a
0: little bit underrated, but there's a lot of, like, average on this roster when you look at it. Now, it's it's average in ways that could get better. Average is good. It also could improve. It is, but average is also, you know, in the middle of the NFL. True. 16th, for example. Um, So, yeah, like, I... I'm less concerned about like the individual players that they've lost, and more just when you start laying it out and you say, "Well, how many of these guys are just kind of banging in the middle, and average?" That's my bigger issue. Like losing Amari Cooper, I think is a step backwards. Even if Jalen Tolbert, I like that as a, a potential solution. Michael Gallup's going to miss a lot of the season. Like I think they're talking December for him to come back for Gallup. Yeah, December. I think so. I did not know that. Um, certainly going to miss time. We're not going to see like 100% Michael Gallup right away. Let me uh, just check. I'm not confusing him with somebody else, but like that's a step back in a receiving core at a spot where we know it has a huge influence on the kind of Dak Prescott you're going to get.
1: I want to go to the other end of the spectrum here too. <clears throat> the the teams that are at the bottom: Houston Texans, 32; Atlanta Falcons are 31; Chicago Bears are 30. We've we've kind of hammered that home that point home that. Uh, Bears have been moving in the wrong direction for a while here. Seattle Seahawks at 29, and the Jacksonville Jaguars still at 28. Okay, I might be confusing them with somebody else. Uh, okay. Gallup expected to return in September is the most recent USA today. It's way before column. December. It is, it, it is. is.
0: Yeah. It's months, in fact, before
1: teams, December. Teams ranking in the 20s, teams the like OBJ. the Jaguars, who made a lot of additions this offseason. The Giants, who, you know, probably... Had a nice little draft, top-heavy draft that helped with the two top seven picks. The Lions, we liked a lot about what the Lions did. We have them at 25th, and we like a lot about what the Jets have done and have them 24th. But all those teams still have questions at quarterback, and even with good additions, I'd say, especially with the Jets and Lions along their roster. And you have to say the Jaguars take the money out of the equation. They they definitely upgraded their football players this offseason – but it's tough to rank them any higher until we actually see it on the field.
0: A lot of people were big mad that I had Seattle as number 32 in the power rankings, my power rankings. But like, this is why. This is a bad roster, number 29 in this list. Um, And they have maybe the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Like, that's a recipe for for stinking.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you could have that much faith in Geno Smith or Drew Locke. There is a weird group group of people that are Geno Smith truthers. I think the Geno Smith truesters are, are. I mentioned Greg Rosenthal. It's it's people that have had Twitter for ten years now, and Geno Smith was the top quarterback in 2013 in a lot of people's minds. And you always just it was a lot like this year where you just assume quarterbacks are going to go high, and then they didn't. And it's like, well, I thought Geno was going to go number one, and he just never got a fair shake. He was only a second round pick. Uh-huh. He didn't get those opportunities.
0: It's also you know, and he had a couple
1: of good games last year. Yeah.
0: Like, five touchdowns, one interception, and limited snaps last year. Passer rating of 103.
1: Like, those are the kind of numbers where you can convince yourself. You know what else he did? Extrapolated forward. You know what else? So, I think there's people who were truthers since his, like, West Virginia days. (laughs) There's also people who saw Thursday Night Football, Island game. They hadn't scored a point, right, with Russ before Russ got hurt. And then all of a sudden, it was Geno Smith against the Rams, right? And he's just leading them back, leading them back, throws a jump ball to DK Metcalf or whatever. The corner falls. Geno Smith almost let a comeback against the Super Bowl champion Rams in front of the nation.
0: He did. Uh, sure. I'm just saying there's, there's more evidence. I'm just trying to explain the
1: mentality of the truthers here. I
0: mean, I, I kind of get it. I'm just, it feels a little
1: bit like one of those things where, you know, at this point, you should probably know better. Here's, here's the thing about Seattle, right? Because it's not just the quarterback. You lose both starting tackles. Dwayne Brown turn that offensive line over the last five years from like bottom three to bottom ten. Pretty significant. You lose both starting tackles. You lose a very good starting corner in DJ Reed. You lose Bobby Wagner, right? Obviously you lose Russell Wilson. I'm just saying the other parts of this roster getting a little bit worse. Younger. They're they're rebuilding. It's a rebuilding roster and they have two top whatever receivers.
0: Uh, Another team fascinatingly ranked is Arizona. They are all the way down in 23rd. For a team that made the playoffs last year at, for a decent portion of the season looked like one of the best teams in the NFL and then obviously as has been their strategy over the strategy as has been their
1: trajectory over the last few years it drives an, off a cliff late in the season it's another team Arizona that has bad off-season feels right like well you... it's
0: it's bad it's not even bad off-season feels it's like the season finishes badly so the off-season feels terribly all the time like every offseason for Arizona feels terrible because they just got wrecked towards the end of the season. So we don't look at it like, you know, big picture. This team has gone from terrible first overall pick to less terrible, to decent, you know, to okay, to good. We don't look at that like arc. And I forget, I think Connor McQuistons' uh, coach rankings had Cliff Kingsbury actually ranked surprisingly high. Um, like, there's a lot of things to like about this Arizona team, but it never feels that way because the seasons always end so badly. So until they figure that thing out, it's, like it's it feels terrible for everybody.
1: Yeah, I think for me, though, it's more you look at I don't trust their corners, again, relative to the rest of the league. Right, but
0: after a season where that's just been like, you know, where they played all year, like that wasn't the problem.
1: Yeah, I get it, but it still it doesn't mean that that's a good thing going in. Um, I like a little bit what they did a tight end within the draft and all that stuff you got you know aj green's coming back you trade for marquise brown it feels like last year's raiders a little bit where i liked some of the moves i didn't like some of the other moves whereas other teams you're like i see a point in all of these moves i think you're getting better across the board but you lose to chandler jones but you have jj watt coming back all these different things it's like yeah but this aj
0: green has a fascinating split that you can find in premium stats um part of an elite subscription a pff you we have a breakdown of um, play for receivers and or well receiving players and defensive players um against versus man and zone right so receiving versus scheme is what it's called in the the premium stats breakdown you get the grade and, and numbers versus man coverage and versus zone coverage and you know teams are playing less man coverage than ever before but it's still an important thing and generally speaking the best players excel against man coverage because you need to have you know your physical uh, t- uh skill set on point in order to thrive that way aj green obviously declining you know not the player that he once was he's still able to have some success though and he has one of the most absurd splits uh between man and zone coverage so AJ Brown or AJ uh, Green still has one of the best grades in the NFL against zone coverage but not against man coverage so sounds about right yeah like he has he's the best graded player on the Cardinals against zone coverage so he has a better grade against zone than DeAndre Hopkins does 82 uh, receiving grade but against man he has one of the worst grades in the NFL because he's just lost it physically he just isn't the same guy that he used to be so if a guy is manned up one-on-one AJ Green's not getting open and you know may not be winning at the catch point anymore and blah 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 he's just not doing well uh but put him against zone the dude hasn't lost like a decade of savvy and understanding and you know play he knows where to be at the right time and knows how to exploit holes in his zone. so I just think it's it's interesting sort of finally getting a data point that actually illustrates what's happening to AJ Green which is You know, he's reached that point in his career where he's declining physically. He's not able to run the way he used to. He's not able to do the things that he used to do physically, but he still understands how to play the game, and that will take you quite a long way depending on the offense you play and depending on the defense you play.
1: It's also nice when you have Marquise Brown as another option there, Rondell Moore, but you have DeAndre Hopkins. This is like the yeah, buts I'm talking about with Arizona, Yeah. right? On paper, things look good. Yeah, but DeAndre Hopkins is missing the first six games, you know? And that's J.J. Watt coming back, yeah, but you lose Chandler Jones. You don't really have another great replacement there.
0: The DeAndre Hopkins thing is difficult for this type of exercise because you're like, well, we're ranking rosters. He's on the roster. He's just going to miss six games. What do you do with that? Like, do you count him. Is he 100 percent? No, you just take got 35. Superstar DeAndre already, yeah, 35.3 percent
1: out of it. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. So he's 65 percent of DeAndre Hopkins is what
1: we're counting for this exercise. If you're six for 17, you're hitting 353. Okay, just, just saying. That's fine. Mhm. All right. Anything else? We got to wrap this thing up.
0: No. So head over to uh, pff.com and it's one of the one of the articles on the front page somewhere or if not it won't have slipped very far by the time you're listening to this. NFL roster rankings for all 32 teams.
1: Shout out to Ben Lindsay though, doing great work over at PFF. He is um, he's one of our liaisons for uh, Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. NBC. So a lot of the the data and stuff that you that um, basically Chris doesn't know what he's doing unless Ben Lindsay tells him. is wow. what, I've, what I've learned, right? Whew. Chris doesn't have any. Oh, we'll cut that part out, too. I'm just kidding. Does Chris make it to this part of the podcast? No, I'm just saying Ben does a lot of, does a lot of good work helping Chris out in his, uh, in his preparation for Sunday Night Football as well. Yeah. So.
0: And I think he heads up sort of all the TV package stuff. Like everything yep. that goes out to various
1: networks is now under Ben's uh, purview. So, anyway, uh, while you're at PFF.com, 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. Exclusive for our PFF NFL podcast listeners. Use it. NFLPOD, 25% off. Keep sending those emails in. Love it. Fuels a lot of our conversation and a lot of the uh, discussions we're going to be having here throughout the summer. Uh, We'll be back on 4th of July. We might be wearing the same thing. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. I might just really like the shirt and I want to rock it on Monday morning. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I? So uh, we'll be back for you on 4th of July on uh, Monday morning. We'll see you then.